With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mets fans, welcome to episode 197 on Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We have a little bit of a shorter show this week than usual, but that's okay. We have a lot of good stuff to get to, including an interview with Anthony DeComo of MLB.com. But first, Chris McShane and I talk about the last couple days in Metsdom and uh, what we can expect from the team going forward. All right, Chris, we have a listener email this week. This is a nice surprise from the last few weeks. Keep up this trend, folks. Email us, podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com, and we will answer it right here on the air. So Andy emailed us to ask, The Mets and Pirates have hooked up for several trades over the past years. Given the disappointing seasons for both clubs so far, I think they'll be active during the offseason. Since Andrew McCutcheon has only a couple years of team control left, what do you think it would take to pry him loose from the Pirates? And would you make the trade if you were the Mets? Andy from Burlington, Connecticut. Uh, I would make that trade, yes. How about you, Chris? Uh, yes, and that's before getting into the cost. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, both, I think that, first of all, McCutcheon's a true center fielder. 
The Mets don't have one of those, except for Ligaris, who's, you know, whose bat is suboptimal compared to what McCutcheon can be. Um, he's an impact bat when he's going right. He seems like a good dude in the clubhouse. Not that that matters too much to me, but you're not trading for somebody who's going to be, you know, a prick behind the scenes. Um, yes, he's having a very, very down year. Hopefully that me- means he become easier in a trade, not that he's already on the downswing of his career because he's rather young for that. Um, yeah. I would do the trade. How about you? Oh, yeah. This, this to me sort of rings of... I guess the most recent example that would be a guy who was on this level who had a down year and bounced back would be Robinson Cano. You know, the, his his down year wasn't quite as bad as where McCutcheon is now, but and I love Cano, but his his peak was also not quite as high, right? As, as Andrew McCutcheon, so um, you know, we can get into what it might cost in a minute. I'm not so sure. I don't know if the Mets have what it would take to get him, but. I'd give up whatever your dream trade package is to get from the Mets. If you're the other team, I would give that up for Andrew McCutcheon in a heartbeat, especially with two years of control on the contract. I, uh, I went to college in Pittsburgh, so I have a lot of friends who are Pirates fans. And my friend Ed said to me a number of years ago, when, when McCutcheon was right about to come up, he said, if, they, if this guy doesn't play his whole career with the Pirates, the Pirates are morons. And he said that he would stop being a Pirates fan if they traded him in his first two years of Major League play. That's how much he's beloved in Pittsburgh even before he comes up. You know, so I don't I think it would take more than than maybe is than maybe the value is worth to get him out of Pittsburgh, because I think he is still such a beloved player in Pittsburgh. Right. Um but would you give up one of the one of the young starting pitchers, either DeGrom, Syndergaard, or Matz? Yes. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I think I might. Yeah, and there are very few players who I would say that about. He's one of them. I mean, I'd prefer it to be Matt's, and it's you know. Me too. Nothing personal. No, I, I'm with you there as well. I'd but, really rather it be Wheeler, but that's a whole other story. That's not happening. Right? No, no. But, <clears throat> but yeah, no. I would, I would be comfortable giving up somebody of that. You know, one of the four or five depending on, you know, what you consider the rotation to be, given the current state of the health. Um, you know, and, and also years of control left. Obviously, Harvey has the fewest. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, another team would probably want a guy who has more. But, yeah, let's just say five. I'd, I'd be comfortable with one of the five plus you know, whatever your dream package is of the top two prospects in the Mets system. So if you're telling me it's Matt Rosario and Smith for McCutcheon, like, I, I, I'd do it. He's that good. Do you think they would take Nice? <laughs> nice. We fleeced him once. <laughs> Can we fleece him again? Yeah, <clears throat> Nice for Walker is... um. I don't know. It won't. It wouldn't be if if the rest of this Mets season doesn't go extremely well, and if they fail to make the wild card game. Um, I don't know if that would be silver lining. I guess it depends on what Neil Walker decides to do and what the Mets decide to do from there. Mm-hmm. But it would. It's not R.A. Dickey winning the Cy Young, or Jacob Degrom winning the Rookie of the Year, 
where you have these sort of those you know like individual achievements that you can look look back and go like oh that that was that was a thing that was worth watching until the end of the season it's not mm-hmm. quite that but it would be a funny thing to look back on john nace for neil walker yeah absolutely um but yeah, there- do you i mean do you think does match rosario and smith even get it done i'm not sure it does I don't know. I don't know where Pittsburgh thinks they are in the win curve. You know, I don't know if they feel like this is an aberration year or if they're beginning a bit of a rebuild. If right. they feel like they're beginning a bit of a rebuild, that might get it done. Because Matt's Matt's is under team control till twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two. Right. And, you know, obviously Rosario and Smith haven't started their clock yet. So you're you're talking all three of those guys minimally being on your being available for the next five or six years. Minimally. Yeah. And that's if all of them make debuts this year. That's if Rosario and Smith make debuts this year. If not, you're looking at till twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two with, with Matt's and twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three with the other guys. I mean that's a long time of control. Yeah, it is. But then it, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's. I mean, if he's out there, who do they, you know, who do they uh, get in offers from other teams? That sort of thing. But, but yeah, I'm on board. You know, I'm I'm willing to uh, take the risk on the guy with the excellent track record. You know, even with the very much down year this year, and it's not that much of his career. He still has a 381 career on base percentage, which, he, you know, he debuted in 2009. So the way offense has been since then, that's really, really good. Yes, it is. And it's just, I mean, average is certainly not the first thing that I look at. But, you know, you look at his numbers and he's sort of the kind of guy that whatever your preferred metric is. Um, he, he rates well in the metric. Yeah, he, he's good at, with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, even this year, he's hit 15 home runs, and, you know, the rest of his numbers haven't gone the way you would expect for him. Right. But, but yeah. You know, I mean, I know next year is his age 30 season and all that, and I don't know. Uh, guys who are on that level that are that good, the aging curve doesn't concern me quite as much. Um because I think that kind of player is a little more likely to defy the effects of age. I agree. I agree completely. Um, I think the Mets would be foolish to not take that trade, especially if they feel like their window is the next couple years, which it seems like, you know, that's probably what they're, what they're thinking right now, because after the 2018 season, you lose control of Harvey, you know, you lose Duda, you lose, I mean, hypothetically, everyone could resign, but, you know, just there seems like their window is the is the next next season and the season after. So if you're if you're getting the control of McCutcheon for those two seasons, you you do that trade. Yeah, and it's the kind of move that if you were to make that and and give up your you know two best prospects and a major league arm, um, you know you need to be prepared to spend money to help complement that. Right. You know, if you're making that move to me, you also you also want to probably do anything you can to get Cespedes to stick around. Or resign Walker. 
Right. But it, I mean, it would be shifting sort of in a, in a drastic way, you know, the age of your team, and you're not looking to give out contracts that end the way that we've seen them end with the Yankees, where right, you, right. You know, you, you have a bunch of 38 and 39 year olds making 20 million a year. Uh, it, you know, not that sort of thing, but you know, for players in their 30s, Walker and McCutcheon are the kind of guys that are at least in the early half of their 30s. Um, you know, even even Cespedes isn't like ancient by any means yet. So, if you were to go and make that kind of blockbuster move, um, to me, you got to be prepared to spend some money and keep the, you know, very good to great players around. Yeah. So that you have a team that, you know, I mean, I, and I think Andy's email doesn't suggest otherwise, but obviously this is a dream scenario. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, the the dream outfield of Cespedes, McCutcheon, and either Granderson or Bruce, you know, in a world where you trade for McCutcheon, you you have to you trade have to trade one of those guys, yeah. Right, if not both, and I and I like both of them. I would trade them both and put Conforto and, and right. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that would be your balance where you still have one young guy, two middle-aged, by baseball standards, guys. <laughs> Both probably younger than me. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Both about my age. Yeah. Having just turned 32. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it, – it would be a shift, and I'd be comfortable with it because – you know, even if you sacrifice that one pitcher at the major league level, um, you know, you might have to patch together shortstop beyond next year. But with an outfield of hypothetically Cespedes, McCutcheon, Conforto, you could probably bring in, you know, not, not top-end guys, but you could probably get something for either Granderson or Bruce. Yeah. They're not... They're, they are viable major league players, and their salaries are reasonable. Yes, and that, you know there, there's no there's no major risk to taking on either one of those guys. So, no, especially they're they're both in their last year of their contracts. So your return's not going to be great, but it's going to you know there are certainly capable major league pieces or minor league pieces you can get for those guys. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, listen, if this meet if this deal has to happen and you need two guys to to help negotiate it, we're here. We're available. Podcast <laughs> at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. Because this, I mean, this is a dream scenario. Yes. If you, if you could have possibly told me, you know, 15 months ago that the Mets could hypothetically have an outfield of Conforto, uh, McCutcheon, and Cespedes, I'd have, you know, I would have never believed you. Just the possibility of that would have seemed absurd. And now the possibility is it's far-fetched, but it's certainly not absurd. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like this. Let's let's make it happen. Sandy, we know, we know that you listen, so make it happen. Um, so we also wanted to talk a little bit about one of the other um, situations kind of brewing with the Mets right now. Uh, it, it's never really pretty to watch Terry Collins make in-game decisions. He's been one of the poor in-game strategists in baseball over the last few years. But the last five or six days seem to have been really, really highlighting this. Uh, Chris, you watched more of tonight's game than I did because I was out for part of the evening. 
But we saw Terry pinch hit for Travis Darno in the ninth. We saw him leave Mats in for, was it 120 pitches? Uh, yes. And it pinch hit with Ty Kelly. With Ty Kelly, yes. I, I forgot to mention that. To be specific. <laughs> yeah. Um, was there anything else tonight that was particularly egregious? Uh, no, those were the two things that sort of stood out. Yeah. See, now, we don't want to get into a, a, a big, deep dive here about how bad Terry's been or anything like that. We just want to pose the question, and I'll pose it to you first, Chris. Do the Mets improve significantly? Not significantly, because managers don't make that much of a significant difference. But do the Mets improve tangibly without Terry Collins? Or, on the other hand, do you think the Mets' performance begins to tank without Collins? Hmm. So... There are definitely things that have been frustrating. I don't think the performance improves drastically without him, only because of the the state of the roster right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I don't know. I like Travis Darno. I get that his 2016 numbers have not been his 2015 numbers. But Ty Kelly, right? The, I mean, you you got two outs, the tying run at the plate, and. I will take Darno every single time over Ty Kelly in that situation. You know, I mean, if only because of the concept, like just the basic baseball idea that Travis Darno has the ability to hit the ball over the fence and tie the game. You know, Ty Kelly, he hasn't had a long enough major league career to, you know, read too far into any of his numbers. Right. This is not a guy who has any track record of hitting major league home runs. So, yeah, I, I, like platoon matchups make sense generally, but when you're taking Travis Darno out of the game and putting him in instead as your final out, um, you know, that that's the sort of thing that makes you think, well, you know, Collins has been dealt a pretty bad hand. You know, they've had a ton of injuries this year. Um, and they're still in it, you know. Maybe he deserves some credit for keeping them relevant. Um, but it's moments like that that you think, like, man, if somebody else were managing the team. And, it, I mean, just based on the, the odds, even, you know, 2015 Travis Darno probably doesn't win the game there or, or tie the game, right. sorry. Um but the odds would have been higher. Even just taking just taking the short view, let's say Ty Kelly comes in and pulls a Babe Ruth and calls a shot and gets a home run. At that point, the game is tied. You're down your starting catcher, and you're down one of your more potentially viable bats in the lineup right now because that's how bad the lineup is right now, folks. So you're looking at Rene Rivera getting at bats in extras if it goes to that, and you're looking at if something happens to Rivera, you're without a catcher now. I know you have to play to win in these situations, but it just seems to be such a foolish move on so many levels. Yeah. So it's it's moments like that that make you go like, hmm. You know, and it, it's it, it's tough. Managers, it's always like whatever team you root for, you're exposed to that manager all of the time. And you will notice the things he does wrong more 
than what other managers do wrong. But it's just, I don't know, it's such a, it, it's such a strange thing in baseball where we know that information has, you know, take, I don't want to say taken over, but it, it's just commonplace. And we see it in shifts and we see it in the way pitchers are deployed and all that sort of stuff. But like, but in game, there just seems to be a disconnect sometimes. And I don't understand how that happens. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I mentioned this before we started to record. I have never been a Terry Collins fan. And I think that his bullpen management is absolutely atrocious from whatever angle you look at it. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's, he's just not a very good bullpen man. And, you know, part of that probably has to come down on Dan Warthen as well as the pitching coach, you know. But ultimately, these decisions are Terry's, and he has to live and die by, by those decisions. Um I guess the, the, sort of the, the place to wrap up this conversation for the night is, is there, what would you place the odds at for Collins to remain the Mets manager through the end of the season? Do you think that, that the front office feels strongly enough about their chances this season to risk shaking it up? Or is it, is he pretty much going to be manager through the end of the year? And then we'll see what happens in the offseason. Uh... Yeah, I'd say 100% that he stays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Alderson regime has not fired a manager midseason as on the Mets, or even even a coach midseason, right? No, no, they did. They let go... Um, didn't they let the hitting coach go a couple years ago? Yeah, yeah, Hudgens was let go during... A... During seasons, right? During the season? Yeah. Was that last season or the one before? The one before. Yeah. Because I remember, um, yeah, it was long before. So he was like, oh, during the season. So I guess there is some precedent for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think you're probably, I think he's he's the manager. Unless he does something really crazy, I can't see him losing his job this season. Right. Yeah, no, it's just, it feels like because of the state of things that, you know, that those little differences where, you know, I mean, look, over the next four weeks, things could go, you know, wonderfully or they can go really, really poorly. And, you know, the Mets might not look back and say that one or two games mattered, you know, but it, it sort of feels if they keep going along at the, the rate they have been lately. It will feel that way. Yeah. So that that makes those things a lot more frustrating. Where you know, if it felt like a, a game was managed in such a way that it made them lose even once or twice, and they miss a wild card game by a game or you know, game two games, whatever it is, uh, that that'll be uh, that'll be painful. Because I don't care how they get into a division series. If they get there, you just you never know what's going to happen in a playoff run. Absolutely. Especially with a pitching staff like this. Right. Even down Harvey, mm-hmm. it's, it's enough. You know, there's enough there to say that those, you know, maybe DeGrom and Syndergaard and even Matt's or even Bartolo, you know, not that he's on the level of those other guys in terms of what the talent is at this point in their careers, but 
but yeah, th- there's enough there to dream on, even if the team isn't completely healthy, mm-hmm. because it just is. That's just the way the playoffs are. And you would hope, you know, I, I know that this is becoming wishful thinking at this point, but you hope that by the end of September, Cespedes is back, Reyes is back, maybe Duda is back, and then all of a sudden your offense looks a lot better. Yeah. Well, certainly, if you know, certainly if you get Cespedes back at a point that he is feeling well enough to play center field and hit like Ioannis Espedes. You know, that is a guy who uh, who really, really benefits the team by allowing you to play other guys in the corners and, and also be the best hitter on that roster. Right. So, yeah. I'm not ruling out a, you know, magical Espedes return where he hits 10 home runs in September and carries the team to the wild card game. But, uh but yeah, I guess the, I'm not I'm I'm not surrendering the division, but I think this is probably the most down on that concept that I've been this season. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I'm surrendering I'm surrendering the division that I have for a few weeks now. No, I know, but I've I've, I've... <laughs> I know you're 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 the last true believer, and yes. I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I um, yeah, I. I think it's definitely possible that the Mets can put together a nice run and and comfortably take a wild card spot, but I don't think it's possible that the Mets can overtake the National. I mean, it's it's possible. It is certainly not probable. Right. Well, I mean, the one thing I've been saying about the Mets lately in conversations outside of the podcast is that they just really, really, really need like a mini winning streak. You know, I mean, the one thing we've heard a lot about lately is that they haven't won two games in a row in a long time. I think it was, what, July 6th and 7th? Um, God damn, that's depressing. It is. I mean, part of that's the all-star break is four days long. So, you know, anytime you do like a last 30 days sort of thing, even though we're just beyond that now for those dates. But you know what I mean? Like if you take out four, there's not four off days in most months, never mind in a row. So that's a touch of it, but they still haven't done it. And, you know, when you're in a wild card race like this, just a, a mini winning streak, four games. And right now they're playing the Diamondbacks and then the Padres. You would think this could be a good time to do that. Right. And then we had tonight's game. Right. So it's, um, you know, it kind of feels like the clock is running out just because they haven't done it yet. But, you know, the mood the mood could significantly change if they can manage to, and they have to start with winning two games in a row, but if they can manage to rattle off just four or five wins, you know, there are enough other teams in the National League to play each other. Yeah. That, you know, you, you get to the, you get to that point, and all of a sudden, you're either a half a game out or a half a game up on you know one of the wild card spots, and you start to feel a little bit differently about the remaining seven weeks of the season or six. Yeah. Well, we we have a, a tiny bit of breaking news here, which is going to be totally irrelevant by the time this posts. But um, it appears the Mets have optioned Brandon Nimmo back to AAA. They have not made a corresponding move yet. Do you think this is due to a waiver? 
acquisition or is this just uh, roster management for bringing somebody else up? Hmm. Google's the 51's roster. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess the, given the way, given the um, the time frame that we're dealing with here, I, maybe we each make a pick and see if either of us gets it right in terms of who's coming up for Nimmo. Mm-hmm. And this might very well be announced in the next 15 minutes. But <laughs> right, as yeah. we're recording, it's not. So if, if I'm trying to guess... So it's, you know, an abundance of left-handed hitting outfielders. Deaza has shown signs of life over the last month and a half. Um, so you assume they send Nimmo down because he's just another lefty bat and he's really not playing. Right. Um, and that makes sense. That's fine. That's not... I'm know. fine with that, yeah. Yeah. And I like Nimmo. Sure, why not? Uh, but if I am looking... Poor Roger Bernardino is also a left-handed hitter. I totally forgot he was on. He was in the system until you just said that. Yeah, I mean, Tyrone is Tyrone on the forty. I'm gonna look. So Tyrone's a right-handed hitter. You know, he's performed in the minors. Nobody really expects anything out of him as a major league player. Um, but you know, he bats from the other side of the plate. He is not on the forty. And I don't see, you know, they already moved right to the 60. I guess they haven't moved moved Duda to the 60 yet. So you could, you know, you could bring up Tyrone. I mean, you would be bringing, you would be putting him to the 60 retroactive to... A long time ago. A long time ago. Oh, yeah, that, that's one of those formalities where you're just, you know, you have a warm spot on the, uh, on the 40. I mean, the the thing is that Wheeler's on the 60, but you can figure out cutting somebody from the 40 if and when Wheeler is healthy. And you can also thank Travis Tyrone and make him the cut. Right, that's true. Um, so if I'm looking, Jim Henderson's also on the 15-day. Oh, that could be it. You, so, yeah, you you can move... I don't know what it says about your season when you're looking through the practicality of calling up Travis Tyrone. <laughs> but I'm going to go with that as my guess. Um, I mean, and, and I, yeah, that that's my guess. I will probably be wrong, but that's mine. What about yours? I'm going to say they made a they made a, a waiver move for a reliever. I'm not going to I'm not going to venture a guess as to who. I know that's no fun. But yeah, I'm gonna say they made a roster move. They they pick somebody up off waivers for as a relief pitcher. Yeah, there are 210 of them in baseball. So there are a single one. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> and uh, and I also just you know, it's such a fungible commodity. And yeah. the Mets have needed could probably use another good arm in the bullpen right about now. Yeah, I don't know who the next Addison Reed is, but. I would love that, you know, like so many of the Mets bullpen acquisitions under Alderson have ended up looking terrible in hindsight. But I mean, even Antonio Bastardo, the last few years, that signing was totally reasonable. And then it just went completely terribly. Yeah. 
you know, so it's it's one of those things where Reed is sort of the exception to the rule. I, I guess Blevins is too. Blevins, I would say even Henderson, they got yeah. him for nothing. So recently they've done they've they've gotten better results out of those kinds of <laughs> minus <moves>. Bestardo, <laughs> right? But well, yeah, generally, but yeah, I feel like Reed was one of the biggest wins in terms of who he was at the time they traded for him and who he has been since. Absolutely. So I don't know who the next. Uh, I don't know who the next Addison Reed is. Do we know if any other pitcher tips their hat up after getting a third out the way he does? <laughs> uh, we don't. <laughs> but we can we can look. We can look a little bit. Uh, hold on. This is, this is my find at the next Addison Reed methodology with like no study. Okay. Um, who has a high strikeout rate and a terrible ERA? <laughs> that, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, with Reed, it was a situation where he was pitching in a in a park, and I think you see it. One of the things that you know, just watching one game at, at the time of recording for this week, uh, you see some of the stats of the Arizona hitters. And you go like, oh, you know, somehow Coors Field has that reputation. And obviously it is the most extreme. But Arizona is really, really, really a hitter's park, too. It is. And you see some of the numbers where you're like, you know, Gene Segura is doing what? Yeah. And I'm not knocking it. Like, he's still, you know, even if you account for the park, he's had a very nice bounce back year. But come on. Right. But you go like, wait, hold on. Like, Milwaukee's not unfair to hitters. Right. And then he's there, and he—it's like you know numbers that if you if you wrote them down and said, "Would you sign that guy?" You'd be like, "Yeah, he'd be like, you know, one of the best middle infielders in the game." So anyway, hmm, finding the next Addison Reed. The thing is, most guys who do have that strikeout rate are just good. <laughs> yeah, who'd have thunk it, right? Yeah. Um. Oji Uehara is obviously not that. He doesn't fit that bill, and he's on a contending team. C-Shack, he's on the DL right now, though. Yeah, they're not going to trade for a guy on the DL. Yeah, there's just not enough time to make that worth their while. Tyler Clippard had a high strikeout rate and a high ERA. He wound up back in New York, but not with the Mets. I mean, I mean to like, be fair, the Yankees are... are have all but announced their season absolutely dead. So That's true. You could probably get them on waivers. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have the next status in raid. <laughs> well, we forgive you. But if it's that guy, sign me up. Who's the worst guy I could be? Who would make you who would you personally? Who's your personal loudest groan when you wake up tomorrow morning to see the Mets acquired blank. Hmm. My answer a week ago would have been John Neese. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the one guy who like came up. Well, I couldn't find the next Addison Reed in a three minute search of Fangraphs <laughs> leaderboards. 
But if you could tell me who the current Matt Caps is, um, <laughs> I think longtime listeners of the podcast or regular listeners at least will know that uh, my cousin is a big Twins fan. And I think one of my favorite moments was sitting behind a Twins scout who wouldn't say he was a Twins scout, but he was definitely a Twins scout uh, at a game just after the Wilson Ramos from Matt Caps trade. Okay. And we brought up the trade on our own. Like, we were talking to each other. We, you know, had not even engaged in conversation with this this scout yet. Um, and my cousin was rightfully hating on the trade because it was obviously terrible. And he, you know, obviously he, he defended it. Um, and by the end of the conversation, we got, well, I used to work for the twins out of him. <laughs> like, sure, okay. Yep. Like, so whatever that is, whatever whatever the Mets version of Wilson Ramos for Matt Caps is, that kind of move, you know. Like I I would love for them to add another reliever, and I like Hansel Robles, but I'd love to add one more reliever that you bump Robles down, yep, one notch, and you and you bump, you know, Goodell or Josh Edgen back to Triple A. But if it's a guy like that who's just like objectively not good. Um, because I think that was the difference between Caps and Reed at the time they were acquired by those two teams, respectively. Was that you know, Caps had like oh nothing left. <laughs> yeah, but like the strikeout, his strikeout rate wasn't that high. You know, I I don't know. It, it was obvious. Like, the results were a little bit better, but clearly looked unsustainable. And then, you know, one of my favorite recent jokes was Aaron Gleeman saying the Caps still hadn't given up a run yet this <laughs> season. Um, or over the last three seasons, for that matter. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, whoever, whoever that is, you know, a, a reliever who just isn't going to be that good um and i know that sounds a little bit vague but if it's a relief pitcher who strikes out fewer than one batter per inning that 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 fits the bill that makes me go oh come on like you know is that guy better than anybody who's here you know that doesn't really that doesn't push the needle for me so i think uh our own green ricky steve schreiber Said it best on Twitter, where if it's Eric Campbell, that's the worst possibility. Oh, yeah. Oh, I That's worse That's worse Arnold, than anybody yes. else <laughs> in yeah. all of baseball. Travis Tyrone and Eric Campbell. Sexy options for early August. Yes. All right. Let's. Uh, by the next time we speak, let's hope that the Mets have rattled off four or five wins in a row, and have not called up Eric Campbell. Hello, Mets fans. This is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio, and this week we are going to talk about the Mets' second base situation and what they plan on doing in the future. Now, before the season started. The second baseman of the future was considered to be Dilson Herrera. He was even considered to be the starting second baseman in 2016. 
before the team traded John Neese for Neil Walker over the offseason. But now Dilson Herrera is on the Cincinnati Reds because the Mets traded for Jay Bruce to try to make a push for the 2016 postseason. That push isn't going so well thus far, but it doesn't matter. Herrera is on the Reds, and the Mets have Neil Walker at second base, whose contract expires after this season. The good news is that Neil Walker is starting to hit the ball really well again. He's crushing clutch home runs like he did back in April. In fact, as I'm recording this on a Tuesday afternoon, during the past two Mets games, Walker has hit a two-run home run to put the Mets ahead. He did it on Sunday in Detroit. The Mets won. He did it on Tuesday against Arizona to give the Mets the lead, but they blew the lead. Regardless, Neil Walker is hitting the ball really well. It's kind of reminiscent of how Daniel Murphy went on a tear during the postseason last year, and the Mets, they did offer him the qualifying offer. He turned it down. They didn't work out anything else. Now Murphy is one of the most valuable players in the National League. Now, what are the chances that happens with Walker? Pretty slim since... Murphy is a special case. It turns out the adjustments he made that made him go on such a tear in in the postseason were good for the long term as well. So with Walker, he could set a career high in home runs this year with the way he's going. It looks like that's going to happen, but that doesn't mean the Mets should offer him a long-term contract since he's about to turn 31. Who knows how long he could play second base. It could turn out to be a bad idea. Heck, even Daniel Murphy's contract with Washington, despite this amazing performance in year one of the deal, could turn out poorly if he is not able to play second base in the long term. So the ability to play defense and continue hitting at this level are two really important parts when you're considering a long-term contract. Recently, it's been dropped by the New York Daily News. They say a source told them that the Mets are at least considering re-signing Walker. That didn't look to be the case when Herrera was in the fold, but the Mets don't have that much in the minors to play second base right now. There's a number of guys out there, but who knows if they're all going to be major league caliber caliber players. We know Ahmed Rosario is slated as the shortstop of the future, but second base, there are a bunch of guys like Gavin Cicchini, like Jeff McNeil, LJ Mazzilli. We don't know if these guys are major league caliber players, despite Chikini's draft stock. He hasn't really blown anyone away thus far. One interesting option is the guy the Mets just called up, TJ Rivera, a Bronx native. He was just selected off of the Las Vegas AAA roster to fill a role on the Mets bench. And he could get some starts at second base or first base against left-handed starting pitchers. Because he's right-handed, because he doesn't strike out that much, he's striking out just 12% of the time at Las Vegas. And he's a right-handed hitter who makes contact. So that's could get him some starts considering the state of the Mets' bench right now. And if Rivera impresses, who knows? He could throw his hat into the ring. And he's a rookie. He's going to be a rookie, but he's also going to be 27 years old. He could make a case for that second baseman of the future role, maybe give the Mets some negotiating power when it comes to Walker this offseason, and maybe just give them another name to throw around when it comes to that future second baseman. Matt Reynolds is another possibility. He's playing shortstop right now, but and he's had some nice moments, but 
He's just been striking out too much, doesn't draw enough walks. It just doesn't look like it's going to happen for Matt Reynolds in the long term. And especially since he'd be playing second base in the future with Ahmed Rosario just gaining momentum in his star of the future status. Matt Reynolds would have to hit a lot more at second base than if he played shortstop, which is obviously primarily a defensive position. So it will be interesting to see what happens with TJ Rivera. It looked like the Mets were trying to bury him for a while, especially because of how old he is and working at AAA. But now that he's up, you have to consider him as a possibility for the future of this team with Neil Walker's contract situation coming to a head with the Mets and with the other options at in the minor leagues at AA and AAA, not very appealing. Rivera really has an opportunity to say, hey, the Mets should consider me for the long term. So that will be an interesting situation to monitor as we go forward with the Mets and they hopefully start winning some games with more consistency and make a push for the postseason. This has been Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio. Anthony DeComo covers the Mets for MLB.com. He is one of the most active tweeters of the Mets beat community. He is on Twitter at Anthony DeComo, and he's a, he's a great guy. And Chris and Anthony have a really great conversation. So check it out right now. Joining us this week on Amazing Avenue Audio is Anthony DeComo from MLB.com. He's been the Mets beat writer there for the past several years. Uh, Anthony, how's it going? Doing all right. I'm doing all right. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Um, I'd be a little bit better if things were going slightly better for the Mets over the last month. Um, I think you were probably the first person to start pointing out that they hadn't won back-to-back games in now it's a little over <laughs> a month. Yeah, um, that's a really hard thing to do. I, I, I want. I don't think people entirely grasp how difficult that is to do to go a full month without winning consecutive games. I mean, even the worst teams in baseball in any given year don't necessarily do that. Uh, It's just the way baseball is, it's very day-to-day, and it's very uh, luck-driven sometimes, and and just the sheer odds of going a full month where you're playing almost every single day and not winning back-to-back games is is almost unfathomable, and especially for a team such as the Mets, which is built. Uh, as we record this, they above 500 team, and in the playoff time, you just don't expect that ever to happen. It, it's wild, it's inconceivable, but it's where this team is right now. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because for so much of this season, they would win or lose, you know, three or four games in a row uh, until it hit that point where it's been very much alternating and then the only streaks since early July have been losing streaks anything you know anything two games or greater um but given that you know you're around these guys every day has there been any noticeable difference in the mood obviously the cast of characters in in the you know in the Mets clubhouse has changed simply because of injury over the course of the entire season but between the players and the manager is there anything different that you see compared to maybe a month or two ago? Honest with you. Um, and I think that's a good sign because people are, you know, running around the clubhouse with their hair on fire. That's never a recipe for turning something around. And the best team, you know, you'll see. 
if you walk in that clubhouse, you can't tell if they won or if they lost the night before and if they're on a seven-game winning streak or a seven-game losing streak. So it's kind of the way you have to be in this game, and I think the Mets do have uh, quite a bit of that. Now, that being said, the things that they say, I think, are also kind of good. Um, they're not necessarily shying away from the talk of, hey, is there an urgency here? Hey, you know, how quickly, how much do you need to start winning right now? Uh, they fully acknowledge that. They know that. They're not hiding behind this mask of, of you know, things will turn around. We're fine. We won the pennant last year. Everything's going great. Uh, they're not sitting here pretending that everything's going great. They know that they're in trouble. Uh, they know that they haven't played well really for about three months now. Um, you know, if you look at it, it's been about May 1st when they stopped hitting altogether and just haven't, you know, obviously spurts here and there and, and false starts along the way. But since May 1st, by and large, is when they have not hit. And, you know, the pitching has been pretty good over that span, not what you would want exactly, but it, but it certainly hasn't been bad. Um and I think they know all that. I think they're self-aware to that extent. And, and again, these are all good things. Uh, you wouldn't want the opposite. Uh, but so far, it has not translated to them being better on the field. And ultimately, that's all that matters. Uh, you could have a clubhouse full of the chillest guys on earth who don't let anything affect them. But if they're not winning baseball games, then it doesn't really matter. Right now, the Mets aren't winning baseball games with any consistency whatsoever. Um, by definition, I guess they're doing it with the least amount of consistency you possibly have. So it's a problem, and they're up against it now. Uh, we're getting down to the less than two months to go in the season, and they're chasing multiple teams. They've got to start winning. It's plain and simple. I really can't put it in a better way than that. They need to start winning. They need to get on a run, and they've put themselves in a position now where it's going to have to be an extended run, and they're going to have to go on a nice little winning streak where they win six, seven, eight in a row, and then back that up with maybe another one and just do this over the final six, seven weeks of the season. If they do that, they'll make it. They'll be fine. They have the talent. They're in position in the standings where they can pull that type of thing off. But it has to start now. It can't wait any longer. I think everyone knows that inside and outside the club. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that sounds very reasonable. Uh, And, you know, the avenues to upgrade the team are sort of you know, maybe not what they were a couple of weeks ago, but do you get the sense? I, you know, we heard um, at the time that we're recording, there was a recent report that they, you know, had put in claims on a couple of players, didn't work out trades for them, but it seems pretty inevitable. But would you expect that they will make one or two minor moves here in the month of August? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the way to frame it. I think it's going to be. Minor moves, I think they'll get a reliever for sure. They've been hunting a right-handed reliever for uh, over a month now, and uh, they didn't get one before the trade deadline. They, they settled uh, for John Neese. Uh, but I do think they will get that arm. Uh, beyond that, I, I'm not sure they're going to do a whole lot, and that's sort of the nature of this thing. They made their big move with Jay Bruce. I don't anticipate them making another one. And to be honest, a, a right-handed reliever, even if they get a pretty good one, uh, like they did last year with Addison Reed, that's not going to make the difference between them making the playoffs and missing it. It's on the offense. It's on the players who are in place with that offense, um, guys who, by and large, have not produced. The Curtis Granderson's of the world, the 
Michael Conforto is, um, you know, three weeks ago I would have lumped Neil Walker in there, but he's gotten as hot as anyone lately, so you really can't. That would be fair. Um, but there's guys up and down this lineup, Travis Darnot, you know, guys who on paper coming into the year uh, were supposed to be big productive pieces for this team and haven't been. And it's real easy, and I think all of us, myself included, fall into the trap sometimes of saying, you know what, well, David Wright got hurt, and he's out for the year, and Lucas Duda's out for the year, and those were two big power bats, and you know, on the pitching side, they're missing Matt Harvey, and so on and so forth. That's fine. Uh, those injuries hurt. Uh, they were injuries where you can't expect it being that serious, um, but every team has injuries. And maybe not this bad. Every team has them. Not every team has the majority of its lineup uh, kind of coming in below expectations, and that's been dogging the Mets just as much all year. They need those guys to hit. They need those core pieces to hit. And regardless of what they do at the deadline, if that doesn't happen, I find it hard to believe they're going to be playing in October. Yeah. Yeah, no, they – I mean, they really just need to score runs at not even an astronomical rate, but just something like a little above league average. Um, even league average. I mean, really, right. the, the pitching hasn't been, again, what you would want. It hasn't been – uh, I would say as good or as consistently good uh, as it was down the stretch last year, but it's still been pretty good. And if you get pretty good pitching with the offense, uh, you know, league average, or maybe slightly, like you said, slightly above league average offense, uh, given the teams that they're chasing and how flawed the wild card race is, every team, I think, is very flawed. Uh, it could very easily be enough. Um, now, again, they put themselves in a situation where uh, – you know, you might need to do a little bit more than had you played consistent baseball all season. You might need to, uh, you know, be, I don't want to say the offense that they had down the stretch last year because that turned into one of the best in the game. Um, but you might need to be better than league average. Uh, you know, this is a tough spot the Mets have put themselves in. Um, but again, the pitching is there. The bullpen really has been solid all year. People don't talk about it. It's pretty good. And uh, the Mets just need that offense to click into play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The point about the bullpen is definitely uh, a good one. It, you know, they the overall numbers have been good, and it really took a while before they blew any games of significance. You know, I mean, every bullpen's going to do it once in a while, but it was you know those back-to-back games when Familia finally blew a save and then did it again the next day. That was the first time that it really felt like the bullpen had done something. Uh, bad uh all year so they've been good you know the rotation you look at it and it's kind of crazy they have two guys in the top 10 in baseball and era uh, among starters and you know it's it's mildly disappointing that they don't have three or maybe four <laughs> but uh which but is you, how yeah which is which is how spoiled the you know you can get with the pitching because it that's when you put it that way it's almost i mean i see the team every day and it's like wow you're right they have two guys in the top six and in the National League and ERA, and it doesn't seem like that because Noah Syndergaard hasn't pitched dominant, dominant games uh, really for the last month, six weeks. Um, you know, Jacob deGrom was a little shaky early in the season, only just now are his numbers coming into that legal that we've seen from the past couple of years. Uh, Steven Matz has been very hit or miss uh, really since, you know, the news about his bone spur broke down. Uh, Cologne has been as good lately as early as been 
over the past couple of years from this team. Um, but again, the pitchers are doing their part in my mind. This, this is playoff caliber pitching the Mets have gotten by and large, but the offense hasn't been anything approaching. Yeah. Well, uh, looking back a little bit, I think we're, you know, we're a little over a week and a half away uh, coming out of the trade deadline, but I'm kind of curious, you know, for a beat reporter, what is what is that weekend like? I mean, well, in this case, it was a weekend, but what those those two or three days going into it, I think, you know, you hear from general managers. I think Brian Cashman was actually the example that I'm thinking of this year who, who said that he didn't sleep uh, for a night as he was sort of thinking about finalizing one of the deals that he made as the Yankees did what they did at the deadline. Uh, but when it comes to that time of year, are you are you getting sleep? Are you, you know, thinking about breaking a, a trade story or just, you know, w- working on what you think you might be writing, you know, looking into players, that kind of thing? It, those last few days, are they – nearly as stressful for you as they are for the guys in the front office? Uh, You know, I don't think they're as stressful as me for me for the simple reason that, uh, you know, what I do in my reporting of it doesn't have the implications of what the team does and that they're shaping the direction of this thing. Um, I'm just trying to get the story, uh, which, which of course can be very stressful and is very stressful. Um, But you know, it doesn't have a lasting impact on fans, on the franchise, on, on things of that nature. So I think it's a different uh, apples and oranges type of thing. But it, it is a hectic few days. Um, you know, when I was a kid and more of a fan as opposed to working in the game, I remember the trade deadline being one of my favorite sports days of the year. It was really fun to uh, watch and listen and read about everything that was going to happen and all the rumors. And, and it's even more so these days, you know, with Twitter and rumors just flying. Um, but it can be a really hectic, frustrating experience for, for a reporter. And, um, you know, I'm sitting here in the car doing this podcast with, uh, Nick Pacoro, who covers the Diamondbacks, the Arizona Republican. I'm sure he can attest to the same thing. Uh, these things don't come out necessarily in whole pieces anymore. They rarely come out in whole pieces. They come out in drips and drabs, and it's very much incremental reporting in a lot of cases where, uh, someone might report that the Mets still have interest in Jay Bruce, and then another person might report that the Mets are talking to Jay Bruce, and then uh, to the or to the Reds, I should say, and then another person might report one player in the trade, and then another stipulation of the trade, and so on and so forth. And then, uh, you know, with the Mets in this year specifically, I think it's a perfect example. Um, you know, they had uh, a deal in place for Bruce that fell through. They had to restructure the deal. Uh, and ultimately, they did it around uh, Dilson Herrera as well as Brandon Nimmo. And all of this is happening in real time, which, by the way, the players see it too. Uh, we, we all learned that lesson last year with the Wilmer Flores fiasco and, and, and finding out on the baseball field during the game uh, that he had been traded, or, or so we thought. Um, it was kind of similar this year. It wasn't quite as dramatic because the Mets uh, weren't on the field playing a game, but Brandon Nimmo essentially was traded. And, of course, he knows that. Of course, he hears that. Um, and then it, it just changes. So, uh, so much of this is fluid, and I think that makes it hectic, and I think it makes it stressful, um, and I think it makes it hard, uh, you know, both for us covering it and for those in the front office and, and uh, people around the league that we might talk to uh, as sources for these types of things, um, because it, it's just this constant game of trying to be in touch with the right people and, and, 
ask the right questions and figure out the right things. And, and there might be times when people are more inclined to help than others. And uh, a lot of it's just experience and, and trial and error of uh, figuring out the different ways to go about this. Uh, I know it took me years to do it, and I'm still far, far from, from perfect. No one in the industry is perfect. Um, it, it's a very difficult job, and it's very stressful. And, uh, you know, it's still fun in some ways that you get to uh, – see these different things take shape around the league, but certainly a, a more stressful experience than when I was just watching it on TV when I was, you know, 10 or 11 years old. Yeah, yeah, and the, I think you go back, I mean, even 10 years, but certainly 15, 20 years, the concept of fans in the stands breaking the news to a player that he was traded uh, while he's on the field or in the dugout would sound insane. Um, but you know, that that's just sort of the nature of it. And I think the R.A. Dickey trade was another good example of that drips and drabs sort of thing where we knew that R.A. Dickey was going to the Blue Jays and it took, you know, it felt like several hours, maybe even like an entire day to learn what the Mets were actually getting back in that trade. Um, and yeah. That, that's, that's a very different universe from when, uh, you know, when we grew up, I, we're not that far apart in age, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's, I don't know, it's fascinating. And, and in that sense, I think, uh, you know, you, did you have any experience doing anything in print before the MLB.com gig? Uh, not at this, not at this level. I covered some high school sports in print, um, both for the Boston Globe and, and for a, a local paper in Massachusetts where I grew up, where I went to college. Um, uh, but nothing, you know, repertorially along these lines where, where you're talking about an MLB trade deadline, something with massive amounts of interest. It's a different ballgame. It is. And, um, you know, it's funny you mentioned players and, and R.A. Dickey and uh, all of that stuff because as much as players say that they don't pay attention to it, and that's the right thing to say and the right thing to do, uh, you know, even if you don't want to, if you're a player, even if you want to bury your head as far in the sand as it can possibly go, uh, these guys have their phones getting blown up all the time by friends, by family. Uh, every time, you know, me or Adam Rubin or Ken Rosenthal or whoever reports something about these guys, they see it. Uh, and they might tell you they don't, but they see it even if they don't want to because people that they're close with are, are telling them about it. And, and I think uh, it's just become unavoidable for these guys and, and it makes it a tough experience for them and it makes it a tough experience for the decision makers who are, who are doing these deals and who are, you know, trafficking in baseball players because um, you're talking about human beings and you're talking about life changing things in a lot of cases. And uh, it's tough. It's tough to, uh, you know, see you kind of get blown about in the wind like a kite. Um, and it just happens all the time. And I think, Twitter age, the social media age that we live in just makes it uh, all the more transparent for everyone involved. Yeah, I think anybody who's ever tweeted photos of minor league baseball players has seen that their mom, dad, brother, whatever, you know, has a search set up and is, is there to, you know, to, to notice uh, even that sort of thing. And that's such a low level thing. But, but that's sort of a, you know, an indication that exactly that what you said that you know they might ignore it completely themselves but there's just no way that they the people who care about them 
personally are just going to tune into it because they want to know what somebody said about that person. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's no avoiding it. No avoiding it. So, uh, this is something we, you know, we've been doing interviews regularly now for the last several months. Um, but something we wanted to start doing. So you're the, uh, the Guinea pig in this regard. So thank you for, for being that. But, uh, you travel a lot, especially, you know, covering one team. You're, you're all over the country over the course of a season. Um, what have been your go-to albums, songs of the 2016 Mets season as you've traveled? <laughs> wow. Um, that's a tough question. I, You know, I, I'm not really a uh, the type of person that I used to be when I was, when I was small, but I'm not anymore really the type of person that will sit down and, and listen to an album start to finish or anything like that. I, I really just tend to stream stuff on, on Pandora or Spotify and kind of see uh, where down the rabbit hole it takes me. Um, and I think I'm getting old, Chris, because, <laughs> you know, when I was, no, no, seriously, when I was a kid and we used to go places in the car, my parents would always listen to the oldie station and that was what they listened to. And, you know, to the point where I knew all of those classic uh, 50s and 60s and 70s hits by heart. And now, you know, I'm, I'm 31. I'm in, in my 30s now. All I want to do is listen to, you know, like the 90s pop stations on Pandora and things like that and just relive, you know, my middle school dance days. And I, I find myself doing that all the time. And it's, it's uh, kind of corny and it's kind of uh, uh, funny a little bit, I guess. But that's. That's where I am. I'm stuck two decades ago. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I just I just turned 32, and uh, that puts us right in the same age, basically. And I think it's sort of this, you know, you hit different points over the years with music, where you know you you might still be discovering new things, but your feelings about what you loved when you were, you know, a little bit younger. And for us, that's the 90s. Um, they might change a little bit. And uh, I feel like it goes in waves and you get to a point where you're just ready to go, you know, screw it. I, I just, I love that and I'm going to continue to like it forever and that's fine with me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the good thing about 90s music, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big karaoke fan. I try and do that from time to time with, uh, my friends here in, in New York, and, um, you know, it's great for it. Uh, every time you do a little hootie on the blowfish at karaoke, it brings the house down. <laughs> That's a good call. Well, on, on that note, uh, we thank you for coming on, and uh, I guess if our listeners are out and about in New York City and doing karaoke, maybe they'll run into you there, but if not, they can find you on Twitter at, at, um, at Anthony Decomo, simple uh, Twitter handle. And they can find your work on Mets.com, MLB.com, uh, and, and we certainly recommend checking it out. So, Anthony, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. Happy to do it. So I'm recording this a bit later today, mostly because I forgot, but also because we're going to try to see if I can break my Wednesday afternoon bad news jinx. And technically we did, because nothing bad has happened, no injuries to report, 
which is always a good start for me on a Wednesday. But the Mets are currently losing one nothing to the Diamondbacks, and they just can't hit the ball. And there we go. Tonight's starting lineup includes Matt Reynolds, Ty Kelly, and TJ Rivera, because we are suddenly in Las Vegas. And it's a million degrees out, so it feels like we're in Las Vegas as well. But, you know what? It's, hey, you know, the Mets are just, they're still struggling. There's nothing new to report week in and week out, guys. This segment is just getting ridiculous. They haven't lost a whole lot of ground. They are currently sitting two behind the Marlins because they lost this afternoon. But, once again, there's no hope. They've got Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce isn't really hitting. Neil Walker is suddenly hitting. But he can only do so much himself. And the pitching hasn't been great. Hansel Robles has not been great the last few times. So, of course, Terry's going to keep rolling him out. And he's going to keep struggling. Because that's what the Mets do. So, hey, you know what? I'm just going to keep sending Brian the same segment week in and week out. Because the Mets never quite change. They can't hit and the pitching just ain't good enough. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you for listening. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com. Check out all the wonderful content we have there, including the increasingly depressing game recaps. Uh, we got to get some offense going, guys. This is this is not fun. Uh, in addition to that, you can find the show on all relevant social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Amazing Avenue. You can download the show directly from blogtalkradio.com. Find it on the Stitcher app, or of course, find it on iTunes, where you should please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It really does help us a lot in the long run to have a nice presence on iTunes. So if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe to it. You can also find all of the contributors to this week's show on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Kate is at Kate E. Feldman, and Aaron is at APY5000. We hope to have a new segment or two next week and, you know, the return of all your favorites. So stay tuned, and until next time, let's go Mets.